Amen. All right. What well, is a blessing to be here this morning? Uh, I do. I do. Thank you for having me here uh, today. It it has been a, a great year. The last year, getting to know your pastor, he's become a good friend of mine, and I appreciate him a lot. I asked him before I came. Uh, you know, if there was anything he wanted me to preach on, he told me just to preach on whatever I wanted. So if you don't like the message this morning, blame him. <laughs> All right. But anyways, we'll get Romans chapter number 10. What I'm going to actually be preaching on here this morning, give you a little bit of a taste of the Solning Conference, is salvation is, it, salvation is not a process. It is an event. It's a one-time event. It takes place at one time in your life. But I'm sure everyone has probably ran into people, especially if you go phoning from time to time, you'll run into somebody that tells you that basically salvation is a process. And there's this process that goes on in their lives where basically they have to perfect themselves unto salvation. And so we're going to look at some of this here today. Look down at Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 9. The Bible says right there that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord is over all, is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the Bible is extremely clear that, hey, if you do this one thing, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and call upon Him, the Bible says that thou shalt be saved. It does not teach anywhere that it is a process through which we have to perfect ourselves unto salvation. But there are those out there that will teach that salvation is a process. And one of those groups, in fact, I'll read for you here today when we get into this, uh, a little bit of an article that I found online by, by this man that is a Calvinist. And this is something that you will find in Calvinistic teaching is that salvation is a process. And why is that? Why do Calvinists believe that salvation is a process? Well, they believe that you have to endure until the end to be saved. And that if you do not endure until the end, if you fall out at some point in your life, if you fall into sin, if you stop going to church, if you stop going sowing in, which no Calvinist goes sowing in, so they're not even saved by their own definition. But if you fall out at any point in your life, then you were never truly the elect of God, and therefore you were never truly saved. Now, that is not what the Bible teaches whatsoever, because if that were true, there are plenty of men in the Bible that would not have been saved. I mean, Solomon would have been one of them, right? I mean, Solomon messed up big time later on in his life. There are other men that messed up later on in life. But you know what? They were still saved by what? By faith through grace. Hey, how about Samson? The last thing that he did was he did what? He committed suicide, right? I mean, he killed himself. That is clearly a sin for a person to do that. And I guess Samson didn't endure to the end, did he? But yet the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 11 that Samson is among those that has obtained a good report through faith. Because he was saved by faith. Now, let's get into some of this. Go to John chapter number 3 and look what the Bible has to say there. John chapter number 3, look at verse number 36. John chapter number 3 and verse number 36. The first thing I want to show you here as we get into this, to lay a foundation, 
is that, you know, the reason, the first reason why salvation is not a process is because we have salvation now. That it's not something that we are waiting for to come later on, but we have salvation now. Now, listen, is my body perfect right now? No, obviously not. We're waiting to wait for the redemption of our bodies, the Bible says. But nonetheless, I still have salvation. My spirit has been saved and I am seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, the Bible tells us. Now, look at John chapter number three and look at verse number 36. Again, just to lay a little bit of foundation. And the Bible says right there, he that believeth on the son. What's the next word? Hath. Does it say you're going to get it in the future? Or what does it say there? It says half. That means you have it right now. That doesn't mean that you're waiting for it later on. No, it means that you have salvation right now. And if you think about people that believe that salvation is a process in these Calvinists, that believe that you have to endure until the end, they can never teach eternal security. They can never believe that they truly have salvation. I mean, think about it. If you believe that you have to endure to the end, well, then you would never truly know that you were saved and that you were the elect of God until you got to the end. So then how could you have eternal security? You see, the Calvinist cannot have eternal security. Eternal security is completely contrary to Calvinism and to those that teach that salvation is a process because guess what? If you fail at any point during your life in that process, well, then I guess you got to start the process back over again, right? And you got to go back to the beginning and continue on going through that process. Look at what the Bible said there. It says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Go to John chapter number 5. And look down at verse number 24. John chapter number 5. And verse number 24, and the Bible says this in John chapter number 5 and verse number 24, the Bible says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me. What's that word? Half. Now, the English language is trip is kind of trippy, right? I mean, it'll trip you up right there. I mean, you have to be a grammar expert to understand this, right? I mean, it's that old King James English. You can't understand that, right? No, it's perfectly laid out there for us to understand. You don't have to be a theologian. Even a theologian can understand this. Even a Bible college student can understand this. Even a Bible college professor could read this and understand what it says without having to go to the Greek and without having to go to the Hebrew. Amen? Look down at what it says there. The Bible says right there, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation. But, what does the Bible say? What's that funny two-letter word right there? Is passed from death unto life. Now, does it say that I'm going to pass from death unto life later on? Or is it saying that I right now am passed from death unto life? I right now am passed from death unto life. You know why? Because salvation is not a process. It's a one-time event. That's why the Bible calls it being born again. I mean, when you were born into this world, that was not a process. That was a one-time event. That process did not take place throughout your entire life. Aren't you ladies thankful for that? 
that that birth does not last an entire lifetime. It's not a big, long process. No, it happened at one point, one time. Look back at what the Bible has to say. Go to John chapter number 6. And look at verse number 47. The Bible says right there, John chapter number 6, verse number 47. And the Bible says right there, John 6, verse number 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, what's that word? Hath everlasting life. So in several places throughout the Bible, what do we see? That we have salvation right now. So that should be enough for us just with those three verses to show us that salvation is not a process, but we're going to get into even more of it to debunk that here this morning because there are other arguments that they will put forth. In fact, the next one that we'll see is that, you know, Calvinists, when they're talking about salvation, how salvation is a process, they will say this, that the gift that God gives you is what? They'll say the gift that God gives you is faith. Now, is the gift God gives you faith or is the gift God gives you eternal life? Well, let's look at what the Bible has to say. Go ahead and go to Ephesians chapter number 2 and look at verse number 8. Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse number 8. Look at what the Bible has to say there. If you're a soulner, you're probably familiar with this verse and use it all the time, right? And when we go soulning, do we teach people that the gift of God is faith or eternal life? Eternal life, right? Look at what the Bible has to say. In fact, if you thought here that, that the gift was faith, well then you're, you're, you're ignorant and you're illiterate and you can't read and understand grammar. Because if you just understand the grammar of what's taking place here, faith is not the gift. No, eternal life is the gift. But why does the Calvinist have to say that? Because the Calvinist believes that God just chooses people to be saved. So He chooses uh, this side to be saved and this side, no matter what you do, doesn't matter if you believe or not, you're just damned and going to hell. So God, because He chose you, He chose to give you the faith so that then you could believe in Him. And that is a bunch of garbage. That is of the devil. That's not found in the Word of God. And it is a false doctrine and one specifically that is dangerous to soul women that keeps people from going out and telling people about the Lord. Because think about it. If I thought that, you know, no matter what I did, that whoever was going to be saved was going to be saved anyways, why would I ever go soul winning? Why would I ever go knock on somebody's door and give them the gospel? Why would I ever witness to my friends and to my neighbors and to my family members? Why would I ever do that if they were going to be saved anyways? You see, there would be no reason to do that if that was the case. But yet God has commanded us to go ye therefore and teach all nations. We are commanded to take the gospel to the world. We are commanded to take the gospel to every single creature. And that's not just for the pastor, by the way. That's not just for the deacon. No, that is for every single Christian. Every single church member. I don't care what your excuse is. I don't care what your age is, whether you're too young or too old, it is your responsibility to take the gospel to the lost. You say, well, well, I'm so old, I can't get out there. Listen, if I get to the point one day where I cannot physically get myself out there, hey, I'm going to put my rear end in a wheelchair and some young man is going to push me down the sidewalk and we're going to go tell people about Christ. 
And if I get to the point where, where I can't even speak, you know what? I'm still going to go out and I'll be that silent partner and I'll go with somebody and be his partner and allow him to give the gospel to somebody. You know why? Because it is every one of our responsibilities to take the gospel to the lost. And if you're not so in, you're not right with God. If you're a child of God, you know God has commanded you to get out and to take the word to the lost. And if you're not witnessing to other people, you are not right with God. And don't tell me that you love people. And don't tell me that you love God if you're not keeping His commandments. Amen. You know why? Because that's what the Bible says. Because the Bible says that if you love God, you know what you'll do. If you love the brothers, you know what you'll do. You will keep the commandments of God and His commandments are not grievous, the Bible says. You know, if you truly love God, you would keep His commandments. Look back at what the Bible says. Start and get off on a little bit of a tangent. Let's bring it back in here this morning. Look back at Ephesians chapter number 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says right there, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It, what is the It. Right? I mean, for by grace are ye what? Saved through grace. So what is the gift that God has given to us? Our salvation. It says it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, we all understand that the it there is salvation. But what does the Calvinist say? Well, the Calvinist says, no, the it there is not salvation. The it there is faith. That God just chooses to give you the faith and thereby He chooses you or elects you to salvation. Now, let's see what the Bible has to say about this. Go to John chapter number 4. And look at what the Lord Jesus Christ had to say. John chapter number 4. And look down at verse number 9. John chapter number 4 and verse number 9. And the Bible says this in John chapter number 4. And verse number 9, the Lord Jesus Christ said this, John chapter number 4, and verse number 9, the Bible says right there, John chapter 4, verse number 9, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest, or askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have not dealings, have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest, the what? The gift of God, that and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have what? Given. Now listen, if we're talking about a gift, it's something you give to somebody, right? And listen, when we're talking about a gift, who pays for that gift? The giver or the receiver? The giver pays for it, right? Now, let's see here in the Word of God what the gift of God is. Look at what it goes on to say. And He would have given thee... What's the Bible say? Faith. Is that what it says? No, it says living water. And go on. He says in verse number 11, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well? And drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle. Jesus answered and said unto, unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
So what is it that Jesus Christ is giving to them? He says, hey, here is the gift of God. That gift of God is living water. Now, is that faith or is that eternal life? That's eternal life. That's why it goes on to say at the end there that you would give to them. It would spring up into what? Into everlasting life. Now, take your Bibles and go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter number five. And look at what the Bible has to say there. Ephesians chapter number five. And look down at verse number 26, Ephesians chapter number 5, and verse number 26. (coughs) Ephesians 5, verse number 26, the Bible says this, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by what? By the Word. You see, how is it that we get that living water? What is that water that God gives to us? Well, we get that living water through what? Through the Word of God. I mean, the Bible says back in Romans chapter number 10, verse number 17, we read it. It says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? By the Word of God. You see, without the Word of God, somebody cannot be saved. And by the way, without a preacher to preach to them the Word of God, they cannot be saved. And listen, that's why we do not go out and we don't go out and just, you know, uh, hand out tracts and just go out and hand out flyers because the vast majority of people will never get saved from reading the tract. They'll never get saved from reading the flyer. They must have a preacher. That's what the Bible says. Romans chapter number 10 and verse number 14. What did the Bible say over there? In fact, let me go back and turn to it so I don't misquote it. But the Bible says in Romans 10 verse number 14, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a what? Without a preacher, the Bible says. And the Bible says, Would to God all God's people would prophesy. You see, it's God's will that every one of us would be a preacher and don't fall into these excuses for soul-winning out there. And listen, let me give it to you this way. There's a real easy way to determine what is soul-winning and what is not. Because there are a lot of things out there that people call soul-winning that are not soul-winning. Let me put it to you this way. If you're not winning souls, it's not soul-winning. I mean, that's real simple, isn't it? It's not complicated. It's not rocket science. So if you go out and you just pan out a piece of paper, are you winning a soul? Did you ever just go knock on the door and invite them to church and then walk away? And that person just magically got saved? No, they did not. Why? Because you did not preach to them the word of God. You see, how shall they hear without a what? Without a preacher, the Bible says. Let's move on. Go ahead and go to Romans chapter number 5. Remember, we're looking at, in the Word of God, what the gift of God is. Romans chapter number 5. And look down at verse number 15. By the way, if you think this is rough right now, we're just getting started. So you better buckle up. Because all this is just foundation here this morning. Look at Romans chapter number 5. And look down at verse number 15. And listen, if you think I preach any different than my church... You, you ought to go listen to some of my sermons on YouTube because I preach the same everywhere I go. Look at what the Bible says, Romans chapter number 5. And look down at verse number 17. The Bible says this in Romans chapter number 5 and verse number 17. And the Bible says right there, in fact, go back to verse 15. Romans 5, verse number 15. And the Bible says, but not as the offense, <coughs> so also is the what? Free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by what? By grace. Remember what did we see earlier? 
for by grace are you what? Saved, the Bible says. Look at what else it goes on to say here. Verse number 15, continue reading. And the gift by grace, which is by one, by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sins, so is the gift. For the, for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense... Death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of what? Righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. What is the gift called there? It's called the gift of what? Righteousness. Now, is it called the gift of faith there or the gift of righteousness? It's called the gift of righteousness. You know why it's the gift of righteousness? Because it's not by my righteousness that I am saved. It's not by your righteousness that you are saved. But it's by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because we could not be perfect. Because the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that all of our righteousness is as as filthy rags. And so we needed the gift of eternal life, the gift of His righteousness that He has given to us, and it is His righteousness that clothes us. You see, we're not saved by our own works. We're not saved by going through this process. And you know, all these goofballs that teach this process process nonsense, at the beginning, when you start looking at what they're saying, they're deceptive. Because at first, they'll sit there and tell you, yeah, it's not of works. They'll tell you, yeah, it's by grace through faith. They'll sit there and tell you, yeah, you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, not of yourself. That's all 100% correct. But then if you dig a little bit deeper, as we're going to do today, you'll find out that they actually believe a works-based salvation. And you know what? Don't be surprised when false prophets tell you that. You know why? Because false prophets know the right thing to say. I mean, listen, last year I had a funeral that I did and I was in this uh, in a funeral for one of our members. And right before our funeral, there was another funeral going on. And that funeral right before ours was a Catholic funeral. And so they took me into the clergy room and I sat down in there and it was me and a Catholic priest sitting in there. Talk about a little bit awkward. So we started talking and I started talking about the way of salvation. And I told him that salvation was by grace through faith. I told him it was not of works. I told him it was not by keeping the commandments. I told him it was not by keeping the sacraments. I told him it was not by, you know, believing in Mary or trusting in Mary or venerating Mary or anything like that. You know that Catholic priest sat there and agreed with me the whole time? I mean, his word specifically to me was, yes, it's not of the commandments. It's by grace through faith and not of works. That's what that Catholic priest told me. But yet when I go talk to his congregation, I know what his congregation says because I know what church he goes to. When I talk to the members of his congregation, his members tell me it's by works. You know what that tells me? That tells me that that false prophet knows the right way. But yet he's turned aside from it. What does that sound like? Who does that sound like in the Bible? Sounds like Balaam, who knew the right way, yet he turned aside from it for what reason? For promotion, for honor, for the wages of unrighteousness, for filthy lucre's sake, they teach a false gospel. So listen, just because some Calvinist tells you that it's by grace through faith does not mean that he actually believes it. Because these Calvinists believe in another way of salvation and they are not saved and they are doomed and damned 
for hell because if you dig a little bit deeper, you'll find out they actually believe in works salvation. By the way, the Pentecostals will tell you the same thing. The Pentecostals will sit there and tell you it's by grace through faith. I mean, it's not of works, not of yourselves. They'll agree with you the whole time if you say that. But then if you dig a little bit deeper, what do you find out? They don't believe in eternal security. And they believe that if you live a life of sin, you can lose that salvation. Well, that's a backdoor work salvation, isn't it? Because if I believe I can lose my salvation, then in essence, what am I believing? Then I am believing that I have to be good enough to keep my salvation, to hold on to my salvation, and thereby I am saving myself by my works. So listen, just because somebody tells you it's by grace through faith, you need to dig a little bit deeper and find out what they actually believe. Look back at what the Bible has to say. Let's move on here in Romans chapter number 5. And let's uh, move on down. What verse did we stop in right there? Look at verse number 18. The Bible says right there in verse number 18, Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one. Who's that? Jesus Christ, right? The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So what is the free gift that God, that Jesus Christ has given to us? It's eternal life, isn't it? Let's move on from that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and look at verse number 2. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 2. We finally just got through the introduction. Now we can actually get into the message. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and look down at verse number 2. While you turn there, I'm going to start reading for you a little bit of this article that I found. And what I basically did... When I was thinking about this sermon, I went and I just, I googled, you know, is salvation a process? I wanted to see what the first thing was that came up. And so this was the first article that came up, and this guy just happened to be a Calvinist, and we're going to look and read some of these things that he said and compare them with the Word of God. So this is what he says. By the way, his name is Gregory Brown. He's, you know, one of these theologians, professors at one of these big, you know, universities, and this is what he says. He says, however, salvation is not simply a work that happens when we are born again. It is a work that continues till we are made into the full image of Christ. It will end at death or at the rapture, whichever happens first. So what is he saying? He's saying salvation, it it was not just a one-time event, and that it does what? It continues throughout our life, and it ends when? Either when we die or when we're raptured. He's saying it is a process Throughout our life. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And look at verse number 2. By the way, this is what he is saying about sanctification. This is the term that he uses to describe this process. That this process of salvation in your life is called sanctification. And that it is something that takes place throughout your entire life. Now look at what the Bible has to say. 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. And look at verse number 2. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth... To them that... What's that funny three-letter word? Our English will trip you up, won't it? It says, are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Now, does the Bible say here that you are going to be sanctified throughout your life? That you're going to be sanctified later on? Or that you are sanctified? 
It says you are sanctified right now you are sanctified. Now listen, there are a couple different types of sanctification that we can see in the Bible. But when it comes to sanctification for salvation, it happened at one time. And it happened when you called upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. You were sanctified. You were set apart as a child of God. You were set aside as, as, a, as a saint and as a priest unto God, as a son of God. That happened one time. Now, throughout my life, I should try to choose to, to sanctify myself unto God. But that has nothing to do with salvation. That's works. You know, yeah, I should choose to try to set myself aside and to be a vessel unto honor and not a vessel unto dishonor. But that has nothing to do with my salvation. Yes, I should choose to set myself aside to keep the commandments of God and to obey the commandments of God. But that has nothing to do with my salvation. And that is easily seen if you would just read Matthew chapter number 5 verse 19. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew chapter number 5. And look at verse number 19. I didn't put this verse in my notes. I didn't plan turning there, but let's go there. Matthew chapter number 5. And look down at verse number 19. And see what the Bible has to say there. <laughs> Matthew chapter number 5. And verse number 19. And the Bible says right there, Matthew 5 verse number 19. <laughs> Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so. So this person, who is this? The one who's breaking the commandments and teaching others to break the commandments of God? Is this a good Christian? Is this a Christian that's endured to the end? Is this a Christian who's going through the process and sanctifying himself in his life? No, he's not. But look at what the Bible says. He shall be called the least where? In the kingdom of heaven, continue reading, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So we have two types of people there, don't we? I mean, we have the one who's doing the commandments and teaching others to keep the commandments. And we have the other one that's not doing them and teaching others to not keep the commandments of God. And one would be called the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And one would be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But notice they're both in the kingdom of heaven. They're both there. They don't lose their salvation because salvation is not a process. If salvation were a process, yeah, you could lose it. If salvation were something that was based upon your works, yes, you could lose it. But thank God, salvation is not a process that God sets and says that you have to work and earn your way to heaven. You see, all this is that we're talking about here this morning is a backdoor way of work salvation. Now, let's turn in the Bible and go to First uh, Corinthians chapter number six. You were just in First Corinthians a little while ago, but go ahead and go back over there. Remember, we just saw in First Corinthians one that we are sanctified. Look at First Corinthians chapter number six and look at verse number eleven. First Corinthians chapter number six. And verse number 11, look what the Bible has to say there. First Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 11. And the Bible says this right there. And such were some of you. So that's past tense, isn't it? It says you were these things. And what were they before? Well, thieves, the covetous, I mean, drunkards, extortioners, I mean, idolaters, adulterers, uh, the effeminate, the abusers of themselves with mankind. I mean, these are all the things that the Bible lists there. And it says, hey, and such were some of you. 
Hey, why are they no longer these things now? Look at what the Bible says. The Bible says, and such were some of you, but ye are what? Washed, but ye are sanctified. Now, does it say you are or you are going to be washed in the future? No, it says you're washed right now. And what are you washed by? You're not washed by the water of the baptismal pool. You're not washed by, you know, just trying to be a good person. No, the Bible says that we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ Himself has has set us forth that we are now priests and kings unto God and His Father, the Bible says. Because we're washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. But yet, I guess these that believe that salvation is a process, I guess you kind of have to, uh, you have to do that washing every single day. Now, what would that sound like? Hey, the Bible says that Jesus Christ died once for all in the end of the world. That He has suffered once for all. And that if you had to be washed every single day, He would have to die every single day from the foundation of this world until that all sin and death was done away with. Jesus Christ would have to be crucified every single day if salvation were a process. Because there's only one thing that will wash away your sin, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that washes away our sin, and nothing else can wash that. And it doesn't say you're going to be washed in the future. It says you are right now. Aren't you glad about that? You know what that tells us? Eternal security. You know what that tells us? You can never lose your salvation. That no matter what you did after salvation, you cannot lose that salvation. You can't give that salvation away. You can't forfeit that salvation. Like the free free will Baptists believe. I mean, listen, the Bible tells us in John chapter number 10 and verse number 28, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. But yet people will say, we heard this at the conference, people will say, well, yeah, yeah, God will never let go of you, but you can let go of God. Now think about how stupid, I'm going to use an illustration from the conference because I want you to see this. Let me see, Jason, come up here, my son. Jason, come on up here. Let me give you an illustration of this. They gave this illustration at the conference. It was a great illustration for, uh, for this verse. Let me show you something. Jason, grab my hand. Now, Jason's hand is in my hand, right? Jason, let go of my hand. Are you trying? Pull harder. Pull harder. Run that way. Try to get away. He can't get away. Why? How come he can't get away? Go sit down, Jason. He can't get away because I'm stronger than he is. He can't get away because I'm his father. And listen, when it comes to our salvation, we have a heavenly father. And even if we try to let go, he would never let go. You can sit there and say, well, he'll never let go, but... You can let go of Him. Hey, my hand, the Bible says, is in Him. He's the one holding my salvation. And guess what? He's way stronger than I am. I mean, listen, me and my son aren't even a comparison to the strength of God. And God holds on to our salvation. And we can never lose that salvation. Because salvation is not a process. It's a one-time event. Now, look back at what the Bible has to say here. We read some of it there. Verse number 11. <clears throat> and such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, let me ask you a question. If you have to you know, stop sinning and salvation is a process by which you have to start living holy unto God and you have to start getting the sin out of your life, 
and doing all this. Let me ask you, what church are we reading about here? We're reading about the Corinthian church. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Well, why don't you just go back sometime and read 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and let me ask you, were they a perfect church? Were they a church that had no sin? No, they had a whole lot of sin. They had some pretty grievous sin. In fact, go back to chapter number 5 and look at verse number 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not uh, so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So there's such horrible sin going on in the church of God that the Bible says that hey, this kind of sin, it's not even named outside of the church. It's not even named among the heathens. I mean, they don't even do it, but yet you're allowing it to go on in the church. But then the very next chapter, what do we see? But such were some of you. But you used to be these things. Why does God not see them as that? Because they've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Because it's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Remember, righteousness was that gift that God has given to them. Therefore, salvation is not a process through which they have to stop sinning. Because guess what? That was not this church. This church had not gotten all the sin out of their lives at this point. This church had some major problems in their lives. Now, look back at what the Bible has to say. Go to Hebrews chapter number 10. And look what the Bible has to say there. Hebrews chapter number 10. And look down at verse number 10. Brother Tommy, what time do we need to be done by? Whenever? Thank God. <laughs> Listen, our church service starts at 10.30. I usually go till 12, go till 12 o'clock. So, so usually I have a little extra time. But, but you know what? The Catholics and the liberals are going to beat you to the restaurants anyways. If I, go a little bit, if I go a little bit longer, you know, maybe by the time you get out of here, they'll be gone. You can go in and have a good time. Look at what the Bible has to say. Hebrews chapter number 10. And look down at verse number 10. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter number 10, verse number 10. By the which will we what? Are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for how long? All. All. Does it say that it's a process? Does it say that it's something that's going to take place later on? No, it says you are sanctified through what? Through one offering by the body of Jesus Christ once for how long? For all, for everyone, for all eternity. That it's not a process through which you gain salvation. Go ahead and take your Bibles. Go down to verse number 14. Right there, the Bible says in verse number 14, For by one offering he hath perfected for how long? Forever. Them that are sanctified. Now listen, we saw the Bible says, hey, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, you are sanctified. And now we see in Hebrews chapter number 10 that those who are sanctified, Christ has already perfected you. Now listen, does that mean that you have all sin out of your life at this time? No, what that means is that you have salvation forever. What that means is that you have passed from death unto life. What that means is that one day before your salvation, you were dead in your trespasses and in your sins. But when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, your spirit was raised up to everlasting life. And one day the body, yes, will join the spirit and be raised to everlasting life. But guess what? That's not a process either. 
Because when that takes place, it's going to happen at one time. It'll be one event. And we call that the resurrection. And that's when that body is going to be resurrected. And until that point, I'm not working to perfect this body. I'm not working to try to make this body so perfect that it can be resurrected out of the grave. No, the Bible says that in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. That I'm going to be changed and it's not by the power of Joe Major that changes this body. No, it's by the power of God that changes this body. Because who is it that has the power to bring people back from the grave? Not myself. Not any preacher. No, it is God that has that power. And there's no process through which I could perfect myself to that point where I then could be resurrected. No, it's a one-time event. Whether it was with the Spirit when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, or it's the day of resurrection, that time happens once in our eternal lifetime. Look back at what the Bible has to say. In fact, take your Bibles, and let's go ahead and go to Romans chapter number 8, and look at what the Bible has to say there. I might have to split this into two messages. I don't know if I'm going to have time to finish it or not. I'm just going to try to get through it. Romans chapter number 8. And look down at verse number 29. Brother Tommy told me whenever, so I can keep you till 2 o'clock, right? Well, don't blame me. Blame him. Romans chapter number 8. Look down at verse number 29. The Bible says this. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 29. The Bible says, Romans 8 verse number 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did what? Predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now stop reading there. What we see here in the Word of God is that, you know, God had some foreknowledge, didn't He? But you see, the Calvinist teaches this portion of Scripture a little differently. Because they take this portion of Scripture and they say, well, you were predestinated to salvation. Now, is that what the Bible just said? Did the Bible say that you were predestined to be the elect? Did it say that you were predestined and set aside to be saved? No, what did it say? They look back at it in verse number 29. For whom he did what? For no, he also did predestinate to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Let me ask you a question. In your life, and according to the Scripture, according to your knowledge of the Bible, do you have to conform to the image of the Son in order to be saved? And what does that mean? Absolutely not. Because in order for us to conform to the image of Christ, we would have to be perfect. In order for us to conform to the image of Christ, now listen, should we set that as a goal in our life where we're trying to be like Christ? The answer is yes, right? That we should seek to be like Christ. But am I doing that for salvation? No, none whatsoever. What is the Bible saying here? The Bible is saying those who God foreknew. What is it saying? That God had a foreknowledge of who would be saved. Because God knows the end from the beginning. Because God is the beginning and the ending. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows all things. And I heard one preacher stand up and say one time, nowhere in the Bible does the Bible say that God knows all things. Guess what? There's a verse that says that. There's a verse that says, God knoweth all things. And if you're going to stand up and make a statement that the Bible never says something, you better at least do a word search and find out if it says that or not. 
But you know what? God knows all things and He knows who would be saved and He knows who would not be saved. He knows who would accept Him and He knows who would reject Him. But just because He knows, does that mean that He chose you to that? I mean, no, not whatsoever. Let's say we were watching a football game and and the day before I had sat down and recorded the game. And I had recorded it, and I had watched it. You didn't know that I had watched it, and I had some foreknowledge. I knew who won. And I knew at the very last moment that the quarterback drops back and throws a Hail Mary pass and wins the touchdown. And when we got to the very end, I told I told you right before it took place, hey, watch this. This man's about to throw a Hail Mary pass. They're going to catch it, go into the end zone. They're going to win the game. That's how the game's going to end. At the end, would you look at me and tell me, you controlled that game. No, that'd be ridiculous. I only had foreknowledge, right? I only had some knowledge of what was going to happen. You see, just because God has knowledge of what's going to happen does not mean that He has predestinated that to happen. You see, what the Bible is saying here, because God had foreknowledge of who would be saved, those who would be saved, He predestinated them to be conformed to the image of His Son. Because he knew that you would be saved. He said, hey, because you're going to be a saint, because you're going to be a child of mine, this is what I require of you. This is what I require you to do in your life. This is how I require you to live your life. He predestinated them who are called, them who are the saints of God, to be conformed to that. But he did not predestinate you to salvation. That's not what the Word of God has to say there. Look on down to what the Bible has to say. Move on from that and go to Acts chapter number 13. And look at what the Bible has to say there. Acts chapter number 13. And look at verse number 38. Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 38. And you see, this is important because the Calvinists will then say that this is all part of your salvation because God predestinated you to be the elect. And He predestinates you to be conformed that this is the process of your salvation. So therefore, if you're going to be saved, if you're going to endure to the end, you have to go through this process of sanctification in order to get to that point. Look what the Bible says. Verse, or Acts chapter number 13. And look at verse number 38. And the Bible says right there, in Acts chapter number 13 and verse number 38, the Bible says, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are what? Justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by what? By the law of Moses. Now listen, the Bible says you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. You cannot be justified by the deeds of the law, the Bible says. But yet the Calvinist turns around and says, hey, part of your salvation is that you were predestined. And because you were predestined, you then have to be conformed. And then because you were conformed, then he also called, then he also justified, and then he also glorified. And they say that that verse back there in Romans chapter number 8, that is the process of your salvation throughout your life. Now, is that what we see in the Bible? No. No. How are we justified? What does it mean to be justified? It means to be declared innocent. It means to be declared not guilty. And why do we need that? Because you and I are guilty. Because you and I have committed sins. And because we have offended the law in one point, we're guilty of the whole. And therefore, we are guilty. But guess what? We're justified, not by our own works, not by the things that we've done, because the things that we do condemn us. 
And if we are going to be justified by the law, the law condemns us. The law is what dooms us and damns us to hell. But we are justified not by any works that we've done or will do in the future. But we are justified by Jesus Christ. We're justified because He took our place. We're declared innocent. We're declared not guilty. Not because I've lived such a good life and endured to the end. But because He lived a good life. Because He committed no sin. Because He died on that cross. Because His soul went to hell. Because He rose from the grave. Because He ascended up on high. Because He sprinkled His blood on the mercy seat. He did all the work. But yet these Calvinists, they don't want to cease from their own works. And because they don't want to cease from their own works, what happens to them? They will die and go to hell. Take your Bibles and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Go back over there. We were there a little while ago. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And look at verse number 11 again. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 11. The Bible says right there, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 11. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are what? Justified. Does it say you're going to be justified in the future or you are right now? I am right now. You see, it doesn't matter that I still have sin in my life. It doesn't matter that I will continue to commit sin in this world. It doesn't matter that I cannot be perfect no matter how hard I try. What does the Bible say? The Bible says ye are justified. It doesn't say you're going to be justified in the future. It says you are justified right now. Now, take your Bibles, go to Philippians chapter number 2, and look at verse number 12. While you turn there, let me read for you a little bit more of this guy's article that he wrote. Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 12. And he says this, What is the proper way to progress in holiness? To work out... Our salvation this is what we're going to read in Philippians 2. He says here in Philippians chapter number 2, Paul teaches a paradox. We must work and God works. We must work alongside God in the process of our sanctification. Paul says God works in us to, uh, to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, what did he just say there? You see, we just dug a little bit deeper, didn't we? You see, at the beginning, he says it's by grace through faith and not of yourselves and that it's not of works. But then you dig a little bit deeper and what does he say? Paul teaches a paradox. You know what he's saying? There's a contradiction. There's a contradiction here because he's saying that, you know, we must work while God works. In this process of our salvation, it not only takes God to work in my life, but it also takes myself to work in my life to be able to get through this process of salvation. Now, that is blatant heresy. That's not found in the Word of God. And when the Bible says, work out your salvation, it's not talking about you working for your salvation. You know what it means to work out? If I said, let's go to the gym and work out, what does that mean? means we're getting in there to work out, right? If I say, go work out your body, what does that mean? Go to the gym, get on the weights, hit some weights, get on the treadmill, you know, run a little bit. You're working out your body. So when the Bible talks about work out your salvation, you know what it's saying? Because you are saved, work out 
that salvation that you have. Because you've been saved. You need to exercise yourself unto godliness. You need to exercise yourself unto holiness. It has nothing to do with you working for your salvation. It's because you have salvation. Look at what the Bible says here. Philippians chapter number 2. And look down at verse number 12. And the Bible says right there. Philippians chapter number 2. And verse number 12. But I would... Ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me... I'm sorry, I'm in chapter 1. Let me get to chapter 2. Philippians chapter number 2. It's not a new version up here. I promise you it's King James. Look at Philippians chapter number 2. Look down at verse number 12. By the way, this guy that we're reading, he's not King James. Look at Philippians chapter number 2, verse number 12. The Bible says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye... (coughs) Excuse me. Wherefore, my beloved... As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Now, why should we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Because the Bible says that God is a terrible God. And what does it mean by that? Does it mean that God is sinful? Is that what it means? No, it doesn't mean that. It means terror. That God should put terror into your life. That you ought to have some fear of God. You see, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To depart from iniquity, the Bible says, is the fear of the Lord. I mean, listen, we ought to to depart from iniquity in our lives. Because if we live in sin, what will God do? God will chastise us if we are a child of His. He will punish us in this life. He will bring chastisement upon us. And therefore, we ought to have some fear of God. But yet, the world out there today tells you, you ought not to fear God. Is that what the Bible says? No, the Bible says we ought to fear God. Listen, I fear God. I mean, listen, go back and read the Old Testament and read about the flood that came on this earth. And guess what? That flood was not some rosy story that you were told in Sunday school that was just about the animals coming two by two to the ark. You know what that was? If you go back and read the Word of God, God destroyed the earth. God destroyed all flesh. God destroyed all mankind other than the eight persons. The eight persons that were saved. And He destroyed them because it repented the Lord that He had made man upon the earth. You see, God looked down and saw the wickedness of man. And it repented of him of it. And he was angered by it. And he destroyed the world and sent a flood that destroyed all flesh. Amen. You know what that story does for me? makes me fear God. Yeah. You know what I read in the Word of God and I read about 23,000 persons that God killed in one day? That makes me fear God. When I read in the Word of God in the New Testament... Where it says, him that defiles the temple, God shall destroy. That makes me fear God. When I read in the Word of God about those that murmured and complained about Moses, and the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them alive down into the pit, that makes me fear God. You ought to have some fear of God in your life. That's why the Bible here is talking about that there. Look back at what the Bible has to say. Let's move on here and see what the Word of God has to say there. In fact, go to Ephesians chapter number 2 and turn over there. And look what the Bible has to say back over there. Ephesians chapter number 2. We read some of it earlier. Galatians, Ephesians. So Ephesians is right there before Philippians. Ephesians chapter number 2. Look at verse number 8 again. 
And the Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. <coughs> For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk, what? In them. What is the Bible saying there? Is God saying that God preordained us to salvation? No, it's saying because we've been created in righteousness, because we've been created in Christ Jesus, that God has now ordained us, He has set forth, that yeah, we should do good works. We should live a good life. We should have holiness in our lives. We should depart from iniquity. But it's not telling us to work for our salvation. It's saying because you are saved. It's saying because you've been created in righteousness in Christ Jesus. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. And look what the Bible has to say there. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. And look at verse number 6. And the Bible says right there, If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. 1 Timothy 4, verse Verse number seven, but refuse profane and old wise fables and exercise thyself rather unto what? Godliness. You see this whole mess of being preordained to salvation and these that teach that you have to endure unto the end to be saved. You know what other false doctrine that brings along with it that is necessary for it? Then it brings along and says, if you truly are saved, you will do the works. Now, is that what we see in the Bible? No, listen, if you were going to do the works just because you were saved, why would Christ, why would God have to command Timothy here to put the brethren in remembrance of these things? Why would you have to be put in remembrance to refuse profane and old wise fables and to exercise thyself unto godliness if you were just going to do it anyways? Why would God ever have to command us to abstain from fornication, to abstain from adultery, to abstain from thefts, to abstain from revelings, to abstain from all manners of sin? Why would God ever have to tell us to do that if we were just going to automatically do it? You see, God wouldn't. We listen, we could take the majority of this Bible at that point and we could throw it out the window because we wouldn't need it. Because you know what most of this Bible is telling us? Most of the Word of God is not only telling us the story of what had transpired throughout history, but it's giving us specific commandments and ways in which we ought to live our lives. Hey, we could shorten the whole Word of God and take a lot of it and just throw it out the side if we just live perfectly. I mean, we wouldn't need the Ten Commandments. We wouldn't need the book of Exodus. We wouldn't need the book of Leviticus. We wouldn't need this portion of Scripture that we see in 1 Timothy chapter number 4. We wouldn't need all manner of other portions of Scripture if we were just going to be perfect. But you see, that comes and stems from Calvinism. And Calvinism teaches that garbage. Why? Because of this false doctrine of salvation being a process. Now look at Hebrews chapter number 5. And look at what the Bible has to say there. Hebrews chapter number 5. You want to see some people that if you were truly saved, that you were just going to automatically do the right works? Well, then Hebrews 5 destroys that. Because look at what the Bible has to say. Because listen, if you were just going to automatically do the works, you know what that means? Every one of you would be just as knowledgeable in the Word of God as the pastor. Because you know why? Because studying the Bible is a commandment. 
Because the Bible says to study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman which needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. You wouldn't need the pastor. You'd all be just as knowledgeable in the Word of God. You wouldn't have to come to church. You wouldn't have to have somebody teach you the Word of God. Because after all, if you were just going to automatically do it, then you'd be just as knowledgeable. We'd all have the same level of knowledge. But look at what the Bible has to say here. The Bible says this in, in Hebrews chapter number 5. Look down at verse number 13. And the Bible says, in fact, go back to verse number 12. And it says, for, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers. You know what that says? They should be teachers at this point. Well, look at what it says there. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. You know what the, the milk of the word is? That is the Ten Commandments. That is, thou shalt not kill. That is, thou shalt not steal. That's pretty easy to understand. You know what the milk of the word is? Deuteronomy chapter number 22. All that wear with that which pertaineth unto a man is an abomination. And men that would do likewise, it is an abomination. But some of you out there might not be able to get that straight because you've been saved for a long time and you ought to be a teacher by now. You ought to be one that could open up the Word of God and show people what the Bible says, but you refuse to hear what the preacher says. You refuse to hear what the Word of God says. And because you refuse to hear the Word, and you want to sit there and you want to wear your pants, and you want to dress like a man, and you want to look like a man, you ought to be a teacher, but you've forsaken the Word of God. Hey, the Bible says that's an abomination. And that is the milk of the Word. That is easy to understand. That's easy to read. That's easy to see in the Word of God. That's just the milk. And you can't move on from that. You know why? Because you haven't gotten that right in the first place. But you see, Calvinism says you would have already done it because you were saved. You would have already moved on. You would have already had that right in your life. But look at what the Bible has to say. For when the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of what? Use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Hey, just because you're old doesn't mean you're the wisest. I mean, listen, the Bible says them who are of a good full age, how have they gotten to that point? Because of reason of what? Of use, the Bible says. You see, when the Bible talks about working out your salvation, this is what it's talking about. When you go to the gym, you're not going to get strong unless you use the weights, right? Unless by reason of use. You get in that gym and you start doing the workout and you start doing those dumbbells every single day and doing the right workout by doing it uh, and by using those things, you become stronger. And guess what? The same is true in our lives when it comes to holiness and the word of God. You get stronger by not only seeing what the Bible says. By not only having knowledge of what it says, but then by taking heed to it and applying it to your lives. You see, there's a difference between wisdom and knowledge. 
You see, it's one thing to have knowledge of what the book says. It's another thing to have the wisdom to put it into application in your life. You see, that's what wisdom is, is when you take heed to it and you actually do it and do what the Word of God says. That is wisdom. But you see, we got a lot of people in this country that although they may be of a good full age, they're not wise people. And listen, the same is true of a lot of young people. You can see this at all levels of life, right? That there are a lot of people in this world that, yeah, they may have grown, they may have some knowledge of things in this world, but they've not put the Word of God into use in their life. Therefore, they are those who are babes in Christ. Look back at what the Bible has to say. Let's move on. Go to Hebrews 13. And look at what the Bible has to say there. Hebrews chapter number 13. I promise we're almost done here today. I'll try to finish out. Well, at least we'll try. Let's see. Look at what the Bible has to say. Hebrews chapter number 13. I'm going to have to cut out a little bit. But Hebrews 13, look at what the Bible has to say. This man goes on to say in his article, what is the first step in the process of sanctification? It is focusing on our model, Jesus Christ. A person who has fixed, who has a fixed look on Christ is seeking to know and please Christ in everything he does. He wants to do God's will in his career Marriage, hobbies, entertainment, etc. We must have an unwavering focus on Christ in order to grow in our sanctification. Now remember at the very beginning, he said the process of your salvation is called sanctification. Remember at the beginning he said, hey, it's by grace through faith. It's not of works. And now we dig here a little bit deeper. And what does he say? That you must do what? We must have an unwavering focus on Christ in order to grow in our sanctification. In other words, you better not ever fall by the wayside. You better not ever fall into sin. You better not ever fall from the point where you're reading your Bible every single day. Because if you did, you didn't have that unwavering focus. And listen, how many of us, myself included, have an unwavering focus every single day, every single minute of your life? Is there one of us that matches that criteria? No, because none of us are perfect. But yet, that, that is what this man is saying, that you must have in order to, to be saved, that it is a process through which you gain salvation. And part of that process is you must have an unwavering focus on Christ. Now, that is impossible for every one of us. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and look at verse number 12. And the Bible says there in Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 12, the Bible says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that ye might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffer without the gate, let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, does the Bible say we do that because we're trying to earn salvation? No, it says because we are what? Because we are saved, because we are washed. Look at verse 16. But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. You know, if salvation were a process, you know what that does? Then that sets up the pastor as the one who also has a part in giving you your salvation. Because part of the commandment here is to do what? is that you obey those who have the rule over you. The pastor has the rule over you, and the Bible commands you to submit to the pastor. 
And listen, if this was all part of a process, you know what that means? That you would have to submit yourself to the pastor and everything that he said in order to one day get to the point where you can be saved. You have to get to the point where you're as good as a pastor. You see the danger in this nonsense? That it sets up a man to be the example rather than Christ. He said an unwavering focus on Christ and what he actually mean? An unwavering focus on man. An unwavering focus on myself. An unwavering focus on myself being good enough, not on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because an unwavering focus on Christ, that's impossible for every single one of us. And thank God Christ already paid that payment for us. Let's move on. Try to shorten this up. Go to Matthew chapter number 7. And look what the Bible has to say there. Matthew chapter number 7. And go ahead and go over there. Matthew chapter number 7. I'm going to skip through a little bit of verses so we can get through this this morning. Matthew chapter number 7. He goes on to say this. Obedience to God is not only a necessary practice in sanctification, but it is a proof of salvation. Not only is it necessary, but it's a proof of. If you are actually saved, you'll do the works. So you know what that means? If you were actually saved, you would have been out sowing in this week. I mean, I mean, listen, do you want your pastor really coming to you and saying, Brother, I don't think you're saved because you didn't go out sowing in this week. And listen, your pastor would never do that. You know why? Because he doesn't believe that garbage. Because he's a true man of God that loves God, that loves the Word of God. And the Bible does not teach that garbage. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew chapter number 7. And look down at verse number 21. Matthew chapter number 7. And verse number 21, and by the way, he quotes this portion of scripture we're about to read as, as proof for this. Because he goes on to say, a person who professes Christ but does not practice daily obedience to God is deceived about his salvation. Jesus said this, not anyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he quotes this portion of scripture. By the way, he's not using King James here, what I just read. But he quotes this portion of Scripture as proof that in order for you to be saved, you must do the works. And if you don't, you're not really saved. Look at what the Bible has to say. Matthew chapter number 7. Look down at verse number 21. The Bible says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth what? The will of my Father which is in heaven. Now listen, what is the will of my Father? You see, Jesus Christ is saying that those who do the will of the Father, they are the ones that are going to heaven. You know what the will of the Father is? Well, the Bible goes on to say, in fact, uh, Jesus said this in Mark 3.34, and He looked around about on them, which sat about Him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and mother. So what is the will of God? Because Jesus Christ said, if you do the will, then you are saved. If you do the will, you are my father, you are my mother, you are my brother. You see, this heretic says the will is to keep God's commandments. The will is to obey God daily. But what is the will of God? Well, the Bible says in John six thirty seven, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. 
What is the will of the Father? If Jesus Christ said you have to do the will of the Father to be saved, well, the will of the Father is that if you believe on Him, you'll have everlasting life. You see, the will of the Father is not to keep the commandments. No, notice what the will was there. Christ was sent to work. You see, the will of the Father was that Christ would work for you, that Christ would die for you, and God's will concerning you is that you would believe on the work of Christ. You see, that's the will of God. And if you do that will, you are saved. You're not going to be saved in the future. You are saved right now. I mean, listen, the Bible goes on to say, in fact, let me move on from that. I think that's enough. I think you understand that. But he goes on to say this again. Work out has the idea. Keep on working out to completion, to ultimate fulfillment. In the NIV, this is represented by the word continue. Continue to work out your salvation. This means that sanctification doesn't happen overnight. It is a process that must be worked out till it is fully completed, which ultimately won't happen until we get to heaven. The implication of this is that we must, here it comes, persevere until it is complete. You see where it leads to? You see, it starts out sounding all good at the front. This is what Calvinists do. Starts out sounding good. That is by grace through faith. And then you get on down, dig a little bit deeper, and you find out it's works. You find out they believe you have to persevere. Let me tell you something. It's impossible for you to persevere to the end. I mean, listen, go to Matthew chapter 24, because that's the scripture he quotes as evidence. And this is the scripture every one of them quote as evidence. Matthew chapter number 24. And look at verse number 13. Matthew chapter number 24 and verse 13. We're almost done here tonight or this morning. Been so long, I don't know which one it is. Look at Matthew chapter 24. This is the last place we'll look. Matthew 24, look at verse number nine, verse 13. The Bible says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be what? Saved. So they'll take this verse and they'll say, See, you have to endure to the end in order to be saved. Let me help you with something. Every time you read the word saved in the Bible, it's not always talking about spiritual salvation. I mean, many times it's talking about other things, such as here. It's not talking about spiritual salvation. It's talking about you bodily being saved. I mean, listen, if you were about to die in a fire and I pulled you literally out of the fire, wouldn't you say that I saved you? Wouldn't that be a correct way to describe that? Yes, it would. And you see, this is what the scripture is talking about here. Those who are going to be physically saved. Look at what the Bible has to say. Go on back. We'll read just a couple verses to prove it to you. Verse number nine. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall what? Kill you. So what are we talking about? The world, Satan, the Antichrist, persecuting the people of God. The people of God going through tribulation and they are going to be delivered. Look at what the Bible says. And shall kill you and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. And shall hate one another. Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You know what that's talking about? We don't have time to go into the end times here this morning. But you know what that's talking about? It's talking about the day called the rapture. That if you make it through this time of tribulation, where the Antichrist is persecuting the people of God, where he's causing them to take the mark, causing all people in the world to take the mark of the beast, and if they don't, he's going to kill them. 
That you can't buy or sell during this time without the mark of the beast. And if you make it through this time, you're a child of God. You make it through. You don't get killed during this time. You endure until the end. What happens at the end? The rapture. And we shall be saved. You see, that's what that's talking about. Not talking about a process. You see, salvation's not a process. And thank God it's not. Because if it was, how could you ever have peace? If salvation was a process, how could you ever know that you were saved? You see, this is why the Calvinist can never have eternal security. Because to him, salvation's a process through which he must endure throughout his entire life. Throughout which he must never make a mistake. Through which he must never fall out of church. Where he must always do that which is right. Because if he doesn't, then he wasn't the elect in the first place. Thank God that's not the way that salvation is. That salvation is the free gift. It's not a process. It's a one-time event. It's when you were born again, and that birth doesn't happen all throughout life. It happened at one time. Let's end the year this morning. I'll pray. I'll turn it over back to Pastor uh, McMurtry this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've given to us this morning. I ask that you take these things, help us to study them out, to, to search them out, Father, to apply them to our lives. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. We're just-